Today is January 22nd of 2024, and we welcome you to our Chapter 49 podcast. Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. We thank you for joining us. I'm Larry Lannon, a volunteer uh, of retiree and someone who deals with uh, various aspects of communications for NTU Chapter 49. And we have our chapter president with us as always, Duncan Giles. Welcome back, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. And we're we're very happy to have uh, a return visit from Dan Casper. He's uh, with the NTU National Office, Director of Field Operations and Organizing in Washington, D.C. Dan, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Duncan. So let's uh, let's get started. Uh, Dan, I'd like to start off with something that just happened over the weekend. Uh, the New York Times, in its Sunday edition, featured an interview with the president of the Heritage Foundation, a very conservative think tank, which has published a lot about the civil service over the years, uh, something that most federal employees in NTU have, have reason to take issue with. But he was pretty direct in his interview with the Times, basically saying that once there is a new, what the, at least the, the Heritage Foundation considers to be a conservative president, that the uh, process will begin to basically dismantle the, the civil service as we know it. Uh, my question to you is, why should federal employees pay attention to this? Because I, I think they should. Tell me why you think uh, federal employees should be concerned about something like this. Yeah, that was a doozy of an interview. I didn't see the full interview, but I, I definitely saw some of the articles after that. Um, heard even in, in, in made it over to Davos. They discussed Schedule F, you know, which is one of the the biggest issues over in, in Davos recently. Uh, you know, the the Heritage Foundation has this playbook um, with the point being they want to be ready in case someone gets in who is willing to enact some of their worst you know, possible dreams that they've, you know, caught up. Um, in in the prior administration in under Donald Trump, uh, there was a lot of things that didn't come to fruition, um, often because they just weren't ready to, to get that stuff, you know, rolled out. Um, if they make a second run at it or any other, you know, president who is uh, anti-federal employee, um, those things are going to be, they're going to be ready to go, if not from day one, pretty soon thereafter. One of the biggest ones you've heard, Schedule F, it's not the best descriptor of what it is, but uh, essentially was an executive order toward the end of the Trump administration that would have taken away um, adverse action rights, uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of rights that federal employees enjoy uh, for a certain number of employees. Uh, lawyers and prognosticators and strategists might look at the actual language of the executive order and be able to piecemeal out what those positions would be. Uh, we don't think that's how they would do that if they were to enact something like that. There would be a much more just kind of throw them all into the basket approach there. Uh, very, very concerning. Um, so that's that's one of the biggest items, and NTU is doing a lot to fight back against Schedule F. One of the things that we did was we petitioned OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, to um, adopt and to promulgate some regulations that would both give those employees under Schedule F those adverse action rights if they were formally in the competitive service but were moved to the accepted service, and also to put in a number of barriers that would, even if a Schedule F comes about, make it take much longer to actually implement and make them think about it this time instead of what they were about to do last time. 
You know, Dan, I won't tell this whole story again, but I've told the story many times what it was like for me in 1968 as a 16-year-old kid trying to get a driver's license in the state of Indiana. At that time, it was the spoils system, and uh, we had just changed uh, parties in the governor's office. They'd fired the entire Bureau of Motor Vehicles, and they'd hired brand-new people who were trying to figure out what to do. So if you want a federal government like that, that's where Schedule F comes in. And you, and now, if you look at the uh, BMV of today in Indiana, it is a civil service system, and the and, and uh, the service is very good. Next question for Duncan Giles. Well, first I'd like to do a follow-up with Dan on this. I'm not sure that a lot of our listeners or viewers understand all the different things that NTU National does. They see the local chapters. Uh, they may see an attorney for an arbitration or something like that. But, Dan, can you talk a little bit about things like you're talking about working with OPM or filing a brief, um, a friend of the court brief or actual lawsuits with, you know, be it a district court or Supreme Court? You know, just some of the things that NTU National does that people might not realize. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and those Schedule F regulations are, are an excellent example of that. And and I should, you know, clarify too, I mean, OPM, we've got to suggest something to them and they've got to sort of take that ball and run with it. And we make suggestions that they don't always adopt, but this one they they felt was worthy. Uh, a, a similar one is, um, you know, there's, there's something called a higher graded duties, you know, grievance, for instance. And higher graded duties, just in short, I could talk about this issue for a while. It's been near and dear to my heart for a long time. But this is when you have uh, an employee who is, for instance, at a, a grade seven you know, level and maybe working the higher graded duties, at least 25% of the duties of a higher graded person at a grade nine. And, you know, there are many different ways that you can get that job through competitive procedures and contractual procedures. But sometimes you have the grade nine who retires and that work gets dumped on the grade seven. And we've long had success in, in filing grievances and trying to get the back pay, the difference between that grade seven and the grade nine for that employee. Long story short, um, and for reasons that would take too long to sort of go through into the weeds here, uh, about two decades ago, um, the Federal Labor Relations Authority had limited a remedy that. So if someone was doing it for four years, they would only get the back pay for 120 days out of each of those four years. We've been fighting that through every possible way we can. And recently we convinced um, through an excellent proposal put forward by our Office of General Counsel, uh, OPM is going to, they promulgated a rule and they're waiting on comments for that rule to correct that so that the employees under that scenario would get full pay, you know, for the full 365 days out of each of those years. So those are the things, as you said, Duncan, that, you know, people may not see every day. We certainly put out messages about them, but we're working at all different levels to try to do that. Court cases uh, as well. Um, and sometimes there's not a legal or a, a regulatory solution to these. Um, developing relationships and, you know, trying to engage leaders at these agencies to do the right thing through persuasion is another thing that we do in concert with our chapter leaders and with, you know, feedback from our members. Yeah, and I have to say, uh, in my experience, NTU's done an excellent job of when they see a higher graded duty case and you've won, uh, what we've won, a number of, of, of these disputes with management. I remember one higher graded uh, 
dispute I was involved with as a steward many years ago, and uh, they just coming, kept coming back to people, the labor relations specialist one thing after another. Finally, they just gave up and said, okay, we have to do it. They just paid the money out. Um, I want to move to the issue of the shutdown. We've delayed the shutdown until March, all right? It's still a two-tiered system. IRS is the second part of that tier, but it's still a looming shutdown. I know you have a, a, a great uh, legislative uh, uh, department. We've had Kata Saibenga on this podcast, and she does great work, and I know you communicate with her uh, about what's happening. So there's a lot going on with the shutdown. Let me start off with with where the shutdown situation stands now in your view, and in addition to that, the legal uh, side issues that come up every time there is a looming shutdown. Yes, I, uh, I I humbled myself after September 30th when I was telling anybody who would listen. I'm normally a pretty careful guy making predictions, but told everyone who would listen, this time there's going to be a shutdown. And yeah, as yep, you, Duncan, you raised your hand as well. I mean, it, yep. the, the tea leaves were there in a way that they hadn't been for quite some time. And of course, we were fortunately wrong about that. So I've, I've really tried to be careful with predictions. But what I will say is, uh, you know, as we've moved along here from CR uh, continuing resolution to continuing resolution, and now we're just at the point where we're delaying it only really by a, a month to, to five or six weeks. Um, you know, I think at some point in time, there's they're going to fund, you know, through the rest of the fiscal year here. There is, again, not getting in the weeds too far. There's some complications once you get if you keep doing more CRs here from the, the debt um, ceiling deal that took place last year there could be some catastrophic cuts that would automatically go into place. So, you know, I'll I'll leave it to Kata, you know, to to give the ins and outs, you know, piece of that. But we're very fortunate that there hasn't been a shutdown yet. But every single time we do this, the agencies have to do their preparations. Uh, OPM and OMB, Office of Management and Budget, you know, have to do their preparations. NTU, we continue to ramp up the chapters. But worst of all, for the members, the employees, they're having to face this fear every single time of the unknown and what's going to happen there. But there's there are three things. I think everyone is kind of getting used to some, unfortunately, getting used to some of the things you hear about. But there's just three things I want to mention very briefly today that we're sort of taking a look at and trying to work with um, OPM to, to make better in terms of their guidance. Um, really, two of them working with OPM and one of them we're doing internally. The two with OPM, one is uh, outside employment issues. Um, whenever a shutdown gets past a certain time, you know, people start thinking about who are furloughed, start thinking about outside employment. Thankfully, you know, NTU sponsored legislation made it through and people are now guaranteed to get paid. But that doesn't help you, you know, in your if you're out for, God forbid, another 35 day government shutdown, for instance. So people start looking at outside employment issues. But there's things like some people don't have outside employment agreements in place for instance, because they're not anticipating needing those. And during a shutdown, often there's not the requisite personnel to take in a new application for outside employment, you know, either. So that we're trying to figure out a way to work with some of our agencies up front and to make sure that they have folks, you know, on the ground in place who can take those things in. And we're also encouraging employees too to take a look at possibly putting in a uh, an outside employment agreement, a just-in-case, you know, agreement. So there's there's that aspect that we're looking at. We're also looking at trying to make the unemployment 
compensation aspects a little bit easier. 50 different states and a lot of issues there as well. So we're working with OPM to get better guidance there. Uh, yeah. Just the last thing. Oh, Larry, go ahead. Don't go right ahead. Finish up. I, I just have one follow-up when you're done. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the last item was just, you know, we, we filed a lawsuit during that 35-day government shutdown. Uh, and that lawsuit concerned uh, what's called the Anti-Deficiency Act, which is what essentially says a agencies, you can't pay employees during a shutdown uh, unless they are exempt, you know, for some reason or another. And what we argued and to you argued in that uh, lawsuit is that actually this Anti-Deficiency Act, which says you can force certain people to work but not be paid during the shutdown, is itself unconstitutional. Um, it's it's easy, and the pressure is taken off of Congress during shutdowns because the accepted personnel continue to work during this time. And so our argument was they actually should not be allowed to work during that time because the Constitution says you can't um, take in any contracts and pay anyone at all. So this Anti-Deficiency Act that accepts that, uh, it, it shouldn't be there in the first place. It's unconstitutional. The point being we would try to force Congress to actually, you know, fund the government as it should do from the first instance. That was a very good summation of how NTU's worked very hard in this shutdown situation. As, as a veteran of many shutdowns back to the 80s, I will tell you that that law that guarantees federal employees will be paid at the end of a shutdown, that guarantee wasn't there early on. And we didn't, as federal employees, di- didn't have any guarantee we'd be paid after a shutdown. So that was no small thing. And NTU was instrumental in getting that done. Wanted to give you and your staff credit for getting that done. And Duncan, you have the next question. Yep. And now we come to the fun part. We're in the uh, latter stages of the midterm bargaining where, you know, both sides were able to open up some articles and, you know, NTU's interest was in expanding uh, telework, especially, uh, where you could be when you did telework, as well as increasing award amount percentages, which is near and dear to almost all of our employees' hearts, the two issues. And IRS has been banging the drum on rent reduction and um, you know wanting to increase hoteling slash desk sharing for a lot of folks out there. So just wondered um, what you might be able to do to give us some sort of update as to where we are in that process now. Absolutely. And you hit some of the high points of, you know, what the articles at NTU opened and what we're fighting for, the increasing of awards and the various ways that we can recognize all of these employees who are just doing incredible work every day under strained circumstances. Uh, increasing telework, just, you know, continuing to make work lives better, expand the area in which you can telework, have a remote work pilot going on, you know, as well, all of those things. Um, the space issues is something that I, I would like to expound on just a little bit. And I've got a few facts and figures that I think you'll find interesting that I was reviewing this morning. So, uh, you know, the IRS has an interest, um, which we've never fully understood, but they have an interest in reducing uh, their space, but to do it in a way that requires a hoteling or desk sharing much earlier than what we believe would be necessary. And so, you know, many chapters and many posts of duty across the country have received, you know, chapters have received notices saying, we would like to start desk sharing in your POD. Um, 
and they're they're in a hurry to do it often when these notices come out. Uh, and the stated purpose is that they're planning on bringing in a lot of folks through hiring, uh, which is great. We support that and we're trying to help them, you know, do that and, and be better and get that done as quickly as possible. But what the IRS, what we've learned there throughout bargaining is there's there are about 530 facilities at the IRS with about 36,000 vacant workstations. And, you know, right now, those workstations and where they're hiring doesn't perfectly, you know, match up. But what we keep telling them in every way that we possibly can is you're trying to do this way too early such that you would have desk sharing and all these empty desks because it's well before you can bring in hiring. So just a couple more very quick facts and figures. We get data from the IRS, the NTU does, uh, and we get two weeks out the number of employees who they expect to onboard. And on average, and this varies widely, but on average, over the last two fiscal years, IRS seeks to bring on 1,541 employees each pay period. And then the day of that enter on duty, which is two weeks later, they by that time, they're only expecting about 950 employees. And then we receive data two days later as to who they actually onboard, 592 employees on average. So when when we hear you you need to hurry up and get this desk sharing, you know, done, we tell them, no, no, you know, you folks are having trouble bringing on the numbers who you're using these predictions for months and months in advance. When you're that far off two weeks out, you know, imagine how far you off before then as well. So that's some of the the headbutting that's going on negotiations. Uh, Our regular um, sessions of negotiations have come to an end with some progress made, but then we now have a fact finder who's coming in and we start this process at this point. Let me follow yeah, up. And, go ahead, Duncan, yeah. please. Yeah, I was going to say just some of the, just to back up exactly what you're saying, two points. First off, when you point out to them that, actually I have three, you point out to them, well, why don't you hire in the places where you have a ton of space? That way employees are happier. You don't have to do that. And you can do the rent reduction as you, you know, slowly no don't want to do that secondly is why in the world would you you know if you have all these empty desks and you have not come up with a uh, a project yet to do a rent reduction would you make folks desk share when there's empty desks right next to them is nuts and the third one and one of my favorite examples lately is we've got a post of duty that is closing down um by this summer that is literally going to be shut down. The employees are going to be absorbed into another post of duty in the commuting area. And they continue up until, and including this pay period, hiring more employees in that post of duty that's closing down. And you can't make them understand why, and I'm talking to executives going, why are you putting people there when they're going to have to move in six months? Well, it's still open. So, I mean, I so I totally get you when you're talking about trying to convince them with facts and figures. It's not fun. You know, Dan, if I could follow up a little bit on what Duncan just said, because one thing Duncan has said several times on this podcast in recent weeks is that part of the problem here is that the IRS cannot speak to each other. You know, you have one part of the IRS that says we're going to hire another part that says, well, it's trying to deal with the space and, and there's no, guarantee there'll be space for these people. So uh, 
I, I think you know, sometimes NTEU is the only institution that crosses these borders within the IRS. And sometimes Duncan has to say, have you actually thought about what, have you talked to the other part of IRS that's supposed to provide the space? Or no, we really haven't. And so, Dan, I guess the question is, uh, NTU, I think the point NTU is trying to make, and I'm emphasizing a point you just made, is that your, your facts don't add up and, and why don't you talk to each other and figure out space based on what your business operating divisions are saying they want to hire? Any, any, any comments on that? Yes. I mean, I, you know, been with NTU now for about 13 years and, uh, you know, was involved working with a number of chapters on space negotiations um, years ago. And it's, it's been different, you know, certainly. Now, of course, they're with the with extra telework and there is more space, they're they're trying to do more of it. But back then, when I think we had a little bit more time to develop it. You bring in the business operating divisions, you bring those bods in, and you know there was much better discussion across the bods and with FMSS, which was REFM, you know, um, at, at that point. Uh, and now there is often a disconnect, a noticeable disconnect between. Um, what FMSS is trying to get done and what the BODs are trying to get done. And candidly, we attempt, you know, we, we're working with the BODs as much as we possibly can because they get it and we get it sometimes. And frankly, um, you know, FMSS may, may not always understand what's going on there. So excellent points from both of you on that. Yeah. The one we went- and a lot of times, I'm, I'm sorry, and a lot of times FMSS isn't even informed. I always love it when I sit there and say, Oh yeah, by the way, do you know that this is happening or this is happening? Nope, they have no idea. They never talk to us. And it just makes me want to pound my head against the desk right. and go, what is going on? Right. Yeah, history lesson. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm uh, I'm going back to the old days. The days we had district directors, this didn't yes. happen. They knocked heads and got it done. Now we have these stovepipes to operating divisions that uh, – kind of operate independently and there's nobody sometimes in the organization to settle the difference. So I think IRS has some systemic issues to, to deal with, but that's just my editorial comment. Yes. Want, Larry, I, just real quick. Last sure. thing I was just going to just mention is, you know, we have, we have a number of members, you know, who are on the front lines in FMSS and, you know, they often get pulled in, in various directions. They know what to do. They know the best way to make this work as well. And frankly, if management would listen to them a bit more, some of these disconnects wouldn't be there. Oh, and my first job at IRS was in the supply room, believe it or not. Oh, the, yeah. the old uh, REFM, I was, yeah. you know, so I, I knew that whole, that whole organization is is not recognizable today to what it yeah. was then. And I think it functioned better in those days, but maybe I'm a bit prejudiced. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, I've got a question for you that deals with telework. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I'm asking this question is that the White House has been sending pretty strong messages to the cabinet members that the administration wants employees back into the office. Now at IRS, you know, you have to be in the office at least two days every pay period. So there is a requirement to be in the office, but uh, we've had field people for ages who weren't in the office a lot anyway. And that's where the old uh, flexi place started, which morphed into our now telework program. Has the uh, White House edicts that are going down to the agencies had any impact on the telework program as far as IRS employees are concerned? 
as far as IRS employees are concerned, not so much. We haven't really seen that come come into into negotiations over Article 50 all that much yet. Um, you know, there's also a remote work pilot, which is out there, uh, you know, too, and remote work as distinguished from um, uh, from telework, where remote work, you, you know, your post of duty ends up actually being your home, at least for the duration of the pilot. So we haven't seen it that much with the IRS yet, but I will say that we have seen it in other places where, um, you know, we're, we're doing term negotiations there on telework. And for agencies that are not forward-thinking, uh, that hadn't really learned many of the lessons from the pandemic, they took some of that language and they're they're trying to use that to drive home, uh, you know, and, and decrease the telework at negotiations. Uh, I got to call out the FDIC, you know, specifically, which had you know had gone to a place where they were looking for um, folks to come back three times a week, and um, you know, we've seen two or three decisions that have come at the Federal Service Impasses Panel where we've reached an impasse on negotiations. And there's been some helpful language in there where the impasses panel said, look, even though the White House OMB memo talked about wanting to have more in-person, you know, interaction, that does not, you know, absolve the agencies from making the arguments that you've got to make in bargaining you know, as to why that they feel that that is necessary. And so the proverbial water cooler talk and the other airy things that, you know, you hear sometimes there, that has not worked well with the panel at all. So we've been able to fight some of those proposals back. Uh, Duncan, any final comment for Dan? Um, Well, I just want to follow up real quick on what you just said. One of the things when we were negotiating the last agreement was they wanted more people in the office to have those collegial discussions and talk about and things of that nature. Um, But, you know, as I told them that that was 20 years ago, that hasn't happened in the past 20 years. So whatever you're doing on telework to try and bring folks back into the office, that's not going to happen. Um, The last thing is, Dan, is there anything that you'd want to bring up uh, that we haven't talked about that you think that needs to be touched on? You know, I, I think the only other thing that I want to mention is with respect to the IRS, you know, there's the, this IRA funding, you know, that's that's been out there that has allowed the IRS to hire in numbers that it hadn't been able to do in quite some time. And, you know, the IRS is is getting better, you know, with NTU persuasion and, and assistance <laughs> in, in onboarding folks better. They, they recognized from the commissioner on down that they needed to get better about, you know, recruiting and, and retaining. I say better because there's, there's still ways to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But this IRA funding is designed to get the IRS back to a place where it should have been, but for the last 13, 14 years of starving it of resources where employees have just been overworked and, you know, the IRS can't deliver on its mission in the way that, the American public deserve and that those employees deserve to be able to do as well because they just didn't have the resources. It's only begun to start to get better. This is a long-term thing, but we are really, really concentrated on making sure that that funding stays in place so that the IRS can continue to do what it needs to do to get itself back up to help taxpayers meet their obligations and to help the employees be able to do their jobs without being so stressed out and being overworked. 
So that's a huge, huge thing that we're worried about, you know, this year and that we're, we're driving towards. So I think that's, that's sort of the other thing I wanted to make sure I just mentioned. You know, I love having uh, Dan Casper on this podcast because every time you're here, we learn something new, and you've certainly done that today. As the Director of Field Operations and Organizing, would it be safe to say you're the top attorney at IRS or at uh, NTEU working for with IRS and all these other agencies? Uh, one, one, of, one of them. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to oversee, uh, you know, 70-plus, um, you know, just excellent, dedicated employees at NTU who, who care about what they do. They work with the chapters. They work with the members and just live and breathe this stuff. Um, we also have, you know, just mentioning attorneys. I never want to call myself the top attorney here either because we've got the <laughs> Office of General Counsel, uh, you know, Kata Sabenga's attorney, Ken Moffitt, you know, director of negotiations. So got fantastic, fantastic, you know, folks here. And under, uh, you know, under Doreen's, you know, leadership, former, you know, um, chapter president of chapter one and longtime IRS employee, and our executive, uh, uh, executive vice president, Anand Muni, you know, too. They have um, they brought in some you know some exciting uh, you know propositions and things to to work with here to to strengthen NTU, and we work together collaboratively and as a family. And um, we just love this job, and we love the folks who who we work for, which is the members. Well, yes, and I I would have to say that after having worked with for IRS for twenty eight years, many of those years as a union official. You talk to other people and other federal agencies, and what you find is that NTEU has always had a reputation for having the top legal staff uh, when it comes to federal unions, federal representation. So uh, uh, I think, uh, yeah, you, you when you talk about that legal staff up and down the line, you supervise a lot of the field operations, and, the, and that's where a lot of the rubber meets the road in, in terms of uh, helping the individual chapters and members with with specific issues, arbitrations, and those kind of things. Yes. But out of time, Duncan, any any quick uh, comment or question for Dan before we go? Nope. I think he has done an outstanding job and uh, really explained a lot of things and hopefully uh, give a good info for our members. Dan, thank you for taking the time. I think that's the most important gift you can give us. The uh, I'm sure your time is, is valuable, and we appreciate you coming on to the podcast and talking to us. This is the Chapter 49 podcast. We thank you for watching and listening. If all goes well, Duncan and I will be back next week. Again, we thank Dan Casper and the NTU National Office. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind. Thank you.